Occasionally, some of you will say to me in the lobby, Joseph, you really stepped on my toes today after a sermon. And when you say that, I take it that it's not been about my presentation, but about what the Bible has to say, how the Word has spoken to your heart and convicted you of something that might need to change. And certainly, we should all pray that our hearts remain tender enough to be pricked by the Gospel and by God's Word. And I should be concerned, as a preacher, if I'm hearing too much of, that was a nice sermon today, Joseph. That was a lovely sermon today. Certainly, God's Word is comforting. Because God's Word tells us about a God who loves sinners like us. That's extremely comforting. But God's Word is also convicting and challenging. And it should step on our toes from time to time. And when we look at the Gospels and when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're talking about, we're in the midst of this series called Best Sermon Ever, about Jesus' famous sermon from Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. What we find in this sermon is a preacher in Jesus who not only steps on our toes, he stomps all over them. And he makes our feet sore. And he preaches the sermon, not that we want to hear, he preaches the sermon that we need to hear. And we're going to experience over this next month, the month of March, Some extremely challenging, I believe, sections from this sermon that will hopefully be convicting, that will not only step on your toes, but will step on mine. And he begins in our text this morning, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, that was just read for us, he begins like this, and this is the first challenging section that we'll be tackling from Jesus' sermon. We're going to tackle it this morning. Verse 21 starts like this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And so far, so good. I'm tracking with Jesus. And what He has said is agreeable to me. We know that The unauthorized taking of human life violates the fifth commandment as revealed in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And this is repeated in the New Testament by both Jesus in Matthew, or in Mark 10, rather, and Paul in Romans 13. So I'm in full agreement. This is palatable to me so far. And if I'm there gathered around that hillside, I'm giving Jesus an amen. Now, I mean, y'all probably wouldn't give him an amen because you don't say amen to anything. But if I'm there, I'm saying amen, Jesus. I'm saying get those murderers. Get those ruthless despots. You tell them. The Hitlers and the Stalins and the Bin Ladens of the world. Take them down, Jesus. Those serial killers. The people who prey on other people who take innocent life and especially those, Jesus, Don't forget about those who would take the life of an innocent child. Preach it, Jesus. Preach it. 
Because, you know, our, our most favorite sermons are those about somebody else's sin. So I'm giving Jesus a hearty amen. But then, then, Jesus kind of pulls the rug out from under us. In verse 22, well, in verse 21, he starts, you have heard it said, but then in verse 22, he says, but I say to you, and this is the construction that we'll see over the next several weeks in chapter 5. He begins the next several sections this way. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and it's important for us to remember as we are trying to understand and rightly interpret these words that Jesus is not correcting the teaching of the Old Testament here, but He's correcting their understanding of it, which was often faulty because of the teaching that they were receiving from the Jewish religious leaders who had elevated oral traditions and and the teachings of men to a level that was equal with the Scriptures. And so they had mixed some things up and the people were confused and Jesus wants to clarify what the Old Testament is all about. He wants to give them a deeper, fuller, better understanding of what God's will is. And so He says, you've heard it said this, but let let me add something to that. Let me remind you that it goes deeper than that. Jesus says in verse 21, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, verse 22, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, stands under the judgment of God. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, meaning the Sanhedrin, which was like the Jewish court of law. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire, the the, Literal word here is Gehenna, which was an actual place outside of Jerusalem. It might have been a place where child sacrifices were made in Old Testament times during especially wicked seasons among God's people. It might have been a place where trash was continually burning during the first century when Jesus walked the earth. It might have been their garbage dump. It was a place but it eventually came to be used as a euphemism for the place of eternal torment for hell. Jesus says, if you're so angry with your brother that you call him that, you are liable to the hell of fire. That's when Jesus, that's when he pulls the rug out from under me. He says, not murdering is not good enough. Don't get angry too. He says, Obeying God is not just about following rules. It's about the state of your heart. And a couple verses earlier, Jesus has said, your righteousness, speaking to His followers, must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders. You've got to be better than them, more righteous than them, which means your righteousness, your devotion, must be internal rather than external. Not just about outward behaviors, but about the internal state of your heart. It has to be rooted in the Word and not in the traditions of men. And it's not about works righteousness. It's not about doing certain things in order to earn your way into God's good favor. You're doing them not because you have to, but because you want to. Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And so, let me reveal to you, because... By the way, Jesus is the authoritative interpreter on the law because He was there when it was written. He's the very Son of God, the eternal Son, 
And he can say, God meant more in that command than, than just don't murder. It's not enough to simply not kill. You must also avoid the anger, the anger that can lead you to take someone's life. Do we have an anger problem in this country? Do you have an anger problem? I told my children this morning as they ate breakfast, I'm preaching about anger today. And one of them said, Dad, is it because I've been angry lately? <laughs> and I said, no. What I didn't say, and I could have said, it would have been true. No, it's because I've been angry lately. It's because anger is a common human problem. It's one that we face in this country. It's one that even Christians face. Do you recognize this guy? I've got a picture of him up here. Do you recognize him? Anger is his name. And he's from the Disney Pixar movie Inside Out. And he, along with the other emotions, joy, sadness, fear, and disgust, they run the command center inside of a little girl named Riley in this movie. Anger flies off the handle quickly. Anger loses his cool easily. Anger can go from seemingly calm to fighting mad in just a matter of seconds. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Can you relate to anger? It seems to me that anger has an outsized role in many of our command centers and that we hand over the, the controls to anger a little more often than we should. Jesus says, it's great that you haven't killed anybody. I'm proud of you. I'm glad that you haven't violated the fifth commandment. And you'll be happy to know, you know, as your preacher, I'm doing pretty well on the murder front. And I haven't killed anybody today, or yesterday, or even last week, or last month, or last year. So you can pat me on the back as I'm leaving today, and congratulate me on successfully living up to the fifth commandment. Jesus says, that's great. I'm proud of you, I'm happy for you. How's your anger? How are you doing with your anger? Because it's not enough to just not kill somebody. You also need to be aware of the anger that is brewing in your heart, the anger that you're harboring against your brother. At one of our Christian universities, a Bible professor was getting ready to teach his class about this passage from the Sermon on the Mount. And he began to... Think about how he could make it come alive. And he had an idea when he came into class. So he approached one of the students and said, hey, can you act? And the student said, well, you mean like in a drama? And he said, yeah, you know, act. He said, of course not. He said, this will be fine. You can do this. What I want you to do is I'm going to make a big deal at the start of class about how everybody needs to turn off their cell phone, how it really makes me angry when I'm teaching and a cell phone rings. In class, and what I want you to do is make sure that in the middle of class, 
your cell phone, make it go off. And I'm going to get really angry with you and we're going to convince the rest of the class that we are about to get into a physical altercation. And he said, that's never going to work. (laughs) He said, no, it will. If you don't overact, it'll work. Let's do this. So all the students come in and they get class started and he goes through his spiel about make sure your cell phones are turned off. Well, about midway through class, this student makes his cell phone ring. The teacher, the professor, slams his Bible shut, walks up to the student and says, what did I tell you at the beginning of class about turning off your cell phone? And the student says, I'm very sorry, sir. Let me turn it off. It won't happen again. And he said, it better not happen again. I don't know what you didn't understand about turn off your cell phone. All of those words are one syllable. And I know you're an athlete, but surely you can understand that. And the student crossed his arms and said, what's your problem? And the teacher said, well, right now my problem is you. And the student said, well, I'll fix that right now. And he gathered up his stuff, began walking out towards the door. And the teacher said, the next step you take better be back towards me. And the student turned around, and he stared at the teacher, and the teacher stared at the the student. And all the kids in the class were completely silent. You could hear a pin drop. And about that time, the teacher put his arm around the student and said, gotcha. And nobody laughed. There was not a sound in the room. And it took the teacher about 10 minutes to convince everybody that it was a joke. And he said to the class, why did you believe that this was about to happen? Don't you know me? You know that I don't overreact like this. Why did you believe that? And he he said later, I think you believed it because our world has gone crazy. And it's believable when somebody just completely goes off and flies off the handle because it happens all the time. I mean, you've seen it happen. You probably experienced it this week. I've been at a preschool basketball game when a disagreement almost came to blows. Years ago, I was up at the Red Box at Walgreens trying to rent a movie. And a line had formed behind me. And one of the men in line just very gently leaned up against a car as he was waiting. Well, the owner of that car was also in line. He said, hey, get off my car. Don't touch my car. And he said, hey, I'm just sitting right here. I'm just leaning on it. I said, get off of it. Don't touch it. The machine was working so slowly, that DVD was taking its sweet time coming out of the machine. I could not get out of there fast enough. Begging the red box to give me my movie so I could run, and as soon as I got it, I, I, I hightailed it out of there. What in the world? It's like people are walking around with, with just this... They're just about to boil over all the time. There's even a term... For the anger that afflicts people who are behind the wheel of their cars, we call it road rage. Have you ever been afflicted with anger like that? 
I almost was last night. We were coming back from Chattanooga, coming up Mont Eagle Mountain, and this car with Florida tags, of course it was Florida tags. <laughs> hey, I love all y'all who are from Florida. I'm thinking of my friends, the Basses. Love all Floridians. Just kidding. Just kidding. Going so slow in the left lane, going up Mont Eagle Mountain. I mean, come on. So I, you know, pull around them pretty fast and speed ahead and cause my wife to say, Joe, let's, uh, all right, let's chill out a little bit, okay? Road rage. Road rage. It's an epidemic. What is wrong with us? We are so angry. Jesus here is talking about a, a certain type of anger we should note. We know that anger inherently isn't sinful. And we need look no further than Jesus' righteous indignation in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, when he drives the money changers out of the temple. Jesus got pretty angry on that occasion, didn't he? At the people who were trying to swindle the worshipers who were coming to Jerusalem, coming into the temple courts. He says, this is supposed to be a place of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves, and he got mad. Jesus became angry, number one, for the right reason, and number two, he handled it in the right way. Jesus reveals to us that it's okay to get angry at injustice and unrighteousness. But the type of anger that Jesus is talking about here is an anger that demeans and degrades and hates. It's a personal kind of anger. It's misdirected and it's mishandled. And Jesus says, if you allow that kind of anger to consume your heart, you are at risk of taking someone's life. And when my Bible says that, you know, Jesus says here, the one who insults his brother, the one who says, you fool, these words that are translated here, the words raka and more, you fool, you fool. These were abusive words. These were, as we sang about, angry words. And they cut at the very worth of a person. And it's difficult to bring them over into English in a way that does the weight of them justice. They were dehumanizing words. That's the kind of anger Jesus is talking about. The kind of anger that escalates into hatred in our hearts that can lead us. To take someone's life, do we really think that we are that far separated from those who would take someone's life? That's Jesus' point. You are no better. Yes, do not murder as the commandment says, but let me also talk to you about anger. About this type of anger that is such a problem in our world today. It's the anger of Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Cain, whose brother Abel made an offering to the Lord that the Lord regarded and received, and God did not regard the offering of Cain, and Cain became very angry, seething with anger. And God said, you better watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. You must overcome it. And what happened? Cain did not. Cain took his brother out into a field and rose up and murdered him in cold blood. But murder is not where Cain's sin began. It's where it ended. 
his sin began with that fiery anger toward his brother that so quickly leapt over its bounds and consumed him completely. That's the kind of anger that Jesus is warning against here. That's the kind of anger that is so dangerous for us spiritually for our lives. We're so angry. Jesus says, don't don't give in to anger. Don't choose anger. Instead, pursue reconciliation. And I love how practical Jesus' teaching and preaching is here. I mean, He immediately shows us what He's saying, how how it can come to life in our daily life, how it matters, how we can live it out. And He says, as He continues, verse 23... If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, reject anger, pursue reconciliation. Reconciliation, being reunited, reconnected with one another. Jesus says it's so important, it's so vital that it takes precedence over acts of worship. You drop your gift right there if you remember that he has something against you, if you have something against him, if there's something between you, drop it right there and go make things right. Go be reconciled to your friend, to your brother, to your family member. You cannot, Jesus says, express love for God in the assembly while harboring hate for your brother. Those two things don't go hand in hand. So I want to say to you, And I'm not going to call off the worship service right here, although Jesus might if He were here. As soon as possible, if you have something against someone in your family, or especially a Christian brother or sister in this church family, make it right with them. If they have something against you, if there's something between you, if there's a wedge that's been driven between you, as soon as you can, make it right. I think if Jesus were here, He might say to some of us, what are you doing here? What are you doing here singing the words to these songs? What are you doing here participating in these prayers, listening to this sermon? Drop your gift and go be reconciled to your brother. There's an urgency here that Jesus stresses. And He's not done. The last couple verses of our text. Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. And I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, reconcile before your conflict escalates. These kinds of things can get out of control before you know it and your life is ruined and the life of your family is ruined. The consequences can become disastrous. So make things right in your relationships. And don't let anger rule over your heart and rule the day any longer. Why don't we we root this teaching theologically and let's say this, as God has chosen reconciliation with us, so we should choose it with others. God has chosen reconciliation with us. God has turned aside His wrath to send His Son so that we can be made right in our relationship with God. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, 
not counting our sins against us, and He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19. God has chosen the way of reconciliation with us. Let's choose it with others. There's another tale in our Old Testament about a pair of brothers. But this one ends very differently than the story of Cain and Abel. Very, different, very differently. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. And we've talked a good bit about Jacob and Esau in recent weeks. And so many of you know that Esau had every reason to be angry with his brother Jacob. Because Jacob cheated and tricked him out of his birthright. And Jacob stole the blessing that belonged to him from his father Isaac. Jacob was the second born. Esau the first born. They were twins, but Jacob was a bit too late. And so... He deceived and he cheated and he tricked and he stole. And we're told that Esau was so angry with his brother that he wanted to kill him. And so Jacob had to hightail it out of their home and leave and go away for many years to escape the murderous wrath of his brother. Well, many chapters and many years later, we find these two are headed for a reunion. And understandably, Jacob is very nervous about how this thing's going to go and he remembers the anger and the hatred of his brother Esau. And he hears that Esau has accompanying him 400 men. What could this be if not an army? Ready to slaughter Jacob and all his family and all his servants and all his livestock to finally get back at him for what he did to him. But what do we find when these two brothers come back together? What Scripture says is that Esau, the one who'd been done wrong, He ran toward Jacob and he embraced him and he kissed him and they hugged and they wept. Esau did not let his anger consume him forever. Instead, he chose the way of reconciliation. There's so many people in our world who are peddling anger, telling us we got to be more angry Politicians and cable news pundits, social media personalities, even some Christians, stirring up anger among us. But just because they're trying to sell it doesn't mean we have to buy it. Jesus said, you better not. You better not. Because anger is serious business. And you may be proud that you haven't killed, you haven't murdered anybody lately. Way to go. But have you hated And have you in your heart wished somebody was dead? And have you spoken abusive, angry words? Words that dehumanize other people? Jesus says, then you also stand under the judgment of God. But here's the good news. You can repent. You can turn away from that wrath and that anger. You can be released from it. And you can choose day by day the better harder road of reconciliation. Yes, we've got an anger problem. But in Jesus, we have the anger solution. He can deliver me. He can deliver you. He can deliver all of us. Does He need to this morning? Do you need to come to Him and make things right in your relationship with Him? Do you need to be reconciled to Him? Do you need prayers for any reason? Are you struggling in any way? Can we help you? Can we pray for you? Can we help to shoulder your load? Do you need to become a Christian?
Do you need to confess the beautiful name of Christ? Do you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? If you're watching online and you want to reach out to us, call us at our church office Monday to Friday, 8 to 3. Send me an email. Let me know how I can pray for you. Don't leave this room without having taken care of a spiritual need in your life. Do that right now as we stand and sing.